Well, greetings and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. This is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX and the host of the iFormerX podcast. Proton pump inhibitors, or commonly called PPIs, are frequently prescribed and used for extended periods of time by many patients. For many ambulatory care pharmacists, long-term PPI use is worrisome. Not only is the indication for therapy in many cases nebulous, but there are a host of adverse effects that have been associated and attributed to PPI use that have given many practitioners indigestion, no pun intended, including lower respiratory tract infections, specifically pneumonia, GI infections, including clostridium difficile associated diarrhea, kidney disease, and even dementia. Indeed, increased all-cause mortality has been linked to PPI use in some studies. However, in nearly all cases, these adverse events have been discovered using retrospective analyses of large data sets. A recent study, using data from the previously published COMPASS trial and appearing in the Journal of Gastroenterology in September 2019, was a prospective evaluation of the safety of long-term PPI use. And joining me today to discuss the findings of this analysis of the COMPASS trial data are Yelena Lewis and Hindu Rao from Chapman University in sunny Southern California. Dr. Lewis and Dr. Rao practice at Providence St. Joseph Heritage Healthcare. Well, Yelena, Hindu, it's great to have you both on the iFormerX podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Stuart. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us, Stuart. Now, before we get started, I want you to imagine you work for a large health maintenance organization with over a million lives covered in your region. Today, MC, a 61-year-old Asian man, has a routine follow-up visit in the anticoagulation management clinic with you. The patient has a history of atrial fibrillation, high blood pressure, dyslipidemia, impaired fasting glucose, gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD, and he's overweight. In addition, he reports he experienced a mini-stroke several years ago, and that's why he's taking a Pixaban 5 milligrams twice daily for stroke prevention. The patient also takes metoprolol XL 100 milligrams daily, endapamide 2.5 milligrams daily, amlodipine 5 milligrams daily, resuvastatin 10 milligrams daily, and lenzoprazole 15 milligrams daily. He currently weighs 218 pounds and his BMI is 31.6. His blood pressure today measured by the intake nurse is 126 over 64. And as you look through his chart, you note that his electrolytes were all within normal limits about two weeks ago. And his estimated GFR was greater than 60 mils per minute. In addition, the most recent A1C measured a few months ago was 5.7%, and he had a lipid panel drawn with an LDL of 78 milligrams per deciliter, HDL of 42, and triglycerides of 96. So before we talk about the results of the study you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary, can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that are going through your mind in this case? Yes, definitely. Considering this patient's history of atrial fibrillation, or AFib, and previous stroke, we're thinking about the importance of preventing another stroke. I'm identifying risk factors of stroke care with the patient being obese, with the BMI of 31, 
and having history of hypertension and dyslipidemia, although those do look controlled based on the objective data that you presented. Also, I want to double-check the dose of his anticoagulant, apixaban. It is dosed appropriately for stroke prevention in AFib in this particular patient. So, Hindu, is there any additional information that you might want to collect and assess during this encounter? Yeah, so as with most patient encounters, it'll be important to address adherence in our patient. I like to keep it open-ended and ask, in a week, approximately how many times do you miss a dose of your medications? And also about barriers that might be preventing him from taking his medications 100% of the time, if that is the case. We also want to gain a better understanding of our patient's comfort level and knowledge of his medications, such as what they're being used for and what to expect from each medication. And lastly, in terms of his gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD, I would want to know how often he feels symptoms and identify his triggers, if any. Getting the history of lansoprazole use would also be pretty high up on my list, including how often he takes it and does it help relieve his symptoms. And also, I'm wondering if there are any additional treatments that you'd be considering at this point. For anticoagulation, his DOAC, apixaban, is a good option for him for stroke prevention. But in terms of his GERD, getting a better understanding of his symptoms can help us really assess whether continuous PPI use is warranted or whether he can even step down in therapy to an H2 blocker, such as famotidine or antacids. So, Yelena, let's talk about the results of the study you reviewed for iFormerX. The paper was published online in September 2019 in the journal Gastroenterology. The paper is entitled Safety of Proton Pump Inhibitors Based on a Large Multi-Year Randomized Trial of Patients Receiving Rivaroxaban or Aspirin. For those in our audience who haven't read the paper yet, can you give us a brief summary of this analysis and its major findings? Yes, of course. So the COMPASS trial was a multi-center, double-blind, randomized trial. It was designed to evaluate either rivaroxaban alone, aspirin alone, or rivaroxaban in combination with aspirin in preventing MI, stroke, or cardiovascular death in patients with stable cardiovascular disease and peripheral artery disease. And they did a further safety analysis, and they included about 17,598 participants in the study who were not taking continuous PPI therapy at baseline. These patients were randomized in a one-to-one ratio into two groups and given either pentoprazole, 40 milligrams daily, or placebo for a median duration of three years. The baseline characteristics of the two groups were similar, including similar average age of 67 years old, estimated EGFR breakdown, and the incidence of previous peptic ulcers, liver disease, diabetes, and concurrent NSAID use. Researchers collected safety data on the development of pneumonia, C. diff, and other enteric infections, fractures, gastric atrophy, chronic kidney disease, dementia, diabetes, and COPD. This was mainly done through self-reporting during patient interviews every six months. Ultimately, there was no statistically significant difference between the two groups in these safety outcomes, with the exception of more frequent enteric infections in the pentoprazole group. 
The number needed to harm that they calculated for the other enteric infections was 301. So the investigators concluded that PPIs may not be associated with any long-term harm, except possibly more enteric infections. So, Hindu, um, what do you consider the strengths and weaknesses of the study? Are there any potential confounders or sources of bias that you think may have influenced the results? So the fact that this was a large randomized placebo-controlled trial is a big strength of the study. It was well-designed with a large number of patients at many sites. In the past, the studies reporting possible risk of adverse effects with long-term PPI use were mostly retrospective and observational studies. And there also weren't any glaring differences in the baseline characteristics in this study, although we do want to point out that the average age was 67 years old. And patients in a real-life setting who generally need long-term PPI therapy may be older and sicker patients. The study design also allowed for the researchers to confirm 96% daily adherence to the PPI through tablet count and therefore hopefully minimize frequency of PPI administration as a confounding factor. But on the other hand, a possible source of bias was the way in which the safety outcomes were reported. As Yelena mentioned, they were obtained through self-reporting during patient interviews every six months. This means there could have possibly been underreporting for some of these diseases, such as CKD or dementia, especially if you compare it to more well-defined events, such as pneumonia and fractures. However, this was a double-blind randomized trial, so misclassification would have been similar in both groups in theory. And to add on, the median study duration was only three years, so it does limit our definition of what long-term PPI therapy is. Some of the previous observational studies mentioned that adverse outcomes such as osteoporosis-related fractures might not happen until at least five years of therapy. And lastly, we want to point out to be careful interpreting the data for the C. diff infections, since the incidence of infection was double in the PPI group compared to placebo, but it still didn't reach statistical significance considering there was only 13 total incidences. So, Yelena, uh, do you think the findings of the study can be broadly applied to other PPIs or to patients who are prescribed PPIs for other indications? Yeah, I, um, that's an interesting question, actually. I, I think we can apply these findings to other PPIs. Many of the previous studies looked at various different PPIs and concluded that PPIs as a class may cause long-term side effects in patients with different indications. The side effects were not found to be due to SIP enzyme interactions, and so I would think that the findings in this study can be applicable to other PPIs. We could apply the findings to other indications as well, I think, but with caution. In this study, PPIs were used to prevent GI bleeding in patients taking anticoagulants. The results could possibly be extrapolated to other patients who may benefit from long-term PPI use, as mentioned by the American Gastroenterological Association, also known as the AGA, such as erosive esophagitis, Barrett's esophagus, or NSAID-induced ulcers. This population of patients, however, may be sicker and more prone to side effects, so it would be prudent to confirm the results from this study in a patient population who is recommended to receive long-term PPIs. 
Now, previous studies have linked PPI use to all sorts of adverse consequences. Uh, can you give us a brief summary of some of the key findings from some of these previous studies? And do you think this study effectively erases all of those concerns? Sure. So previous studies have linked PPIs to potentially causing enteric infections such as C. diff-associated diarrhea, B12 deficiency, hypomagnesemia, community-acquired pneumonia, bone fracture. Other reports have linked PPI use with chronic kidney disease, cognitive decline, MI, stroke, and even death. But remember that most of these studies were retrospective and observational in nature. PPI users tend to be older and sicker patients, which can add to the confounding effect in those studies. This study is unique in that it's the first prospective randomized controlled trial to evaluate PPI adverse effects, but it doesn't erase all of our concerns about PPIs. It did not address the possibility of B12 or electrolyte disturbances. It's still important to be cautious since this randomized controlled trial was conducted only for a median duration of three years and the safety data was collected through patient self-reporting. It's hard for us to know what happens with certain long-term outcomes, such as development of CKD or dementia after three years. We would love to see future studies with a longer study duration. And also, this study does suggest that the benefits of PPI therapy may outweigh the risks in patients with a clear indication for therapy. So the key phrase here uh, being clear indication for therapy, it's still very important to check in with patients and make sure the PPI therapy is warranted. So let's return to our case. Um, Hindu, recall that MC is using lensoprazole for GERD. So let's assume the patient has been taking this medication for many years, and he tells you he still gets reflux symptoms if he doesn't take it. Would you recommend discontinuing lensoprazole? And if so, what treatments, either pharmacologic or non-pharmacologic, would you recommend instead and if not, how long do you think it would be safe to take lansoprazole? Indefinitely? Sure, Stuart. So first I would discuss lifestyle modifications, such as avoiding eating late at night or overeating and avoiding spicy and greasy foods and other things like chocolate, coffee, alcohol, which could be triggers. My second recommendation would be to try switching the lansoprazole to an H2 blocker, possibly, such as a famotidine, um, if he hasn't already done this. If that doesn't work, the patient could try every other day lansoprazole for a few times a week, so at least we get the patient to the lowest effective dose. But if he decides to continue lansoprazole, and that's the only thing that's working, we have to consider that he's been on this for many years, as you mentioned, so I would first counsel him to watch out for symptoms of enteric infections, such as excessive diarrhea that could be bloody, abdominal cramping or fever. And I would also mention some of the other side effects we've been talking about today and explain to him that it's important to be cautious since the data we have about long-term lansoprazole use is not clear-cut. It's hard to say exactly how long it is safe to use PPIs, but it's definitely in our best interest to counsel patients about the risks and benefits and encourage them to only continue PPI therapy if it's absolutely necessary. So Yelena Hindu, thank you so much for being on the iFormerX podcast today and talking about some of the findings from the COMPASS trial 
specifically examining the safety of long-term pentoprazole use. And I think it's clear from your comments that you believe this is pretty persuasive evidence that perhaps PPIs are a bit safer than maybe we think, but there are limitations to this study, particularly the self-reported outcomes and the only three-year duration of the trial. So some of the side effects that we are concerned about may emerge with even longer use. Well, tell us what you think. Only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site. You can become a member of iFormerX. It's free, so sign up today. And if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, be sure to check out the board recertification program offered by the American Pharmacists Association. APHA has partnered with iFormerX to make our commentaries and podcasts available for board recertification credit as well as for continuing education credit. To learn more about APHA's Ambulatory Care Board Prep and Recertification Program, click on the link at the bottom of the written commentary posted on the iFormerX website. And finally, I want to thank the many volunteers who make iFormerX possible. A special thanks to all the educators and residency program directors who use iFormerX content in their teaching and training efforts and who encourage their students and residents to become members of iFormerX. Our goal has always been to teach the next generation of ambulatory care practitioners how to be good consumers of the primary literature, and to promote evidence-based decisions. So many thanks for helping to build the membership in iFormerX by using the content in your courses and with your residents and trainees. Until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.